just a few moments ago when I was outside, I was um, really feeling the kind of otherworldly quality of the planet and this particular location on the planet that we have today. And, and just now opening my eyes and looking around you, it's also in the hall. There's this kind of really otherworldly light illuminating us in a different way. And uh, as well as being very beautiful, I think it can really, that opening to that impression can really um, open something in us that is really, really valuable. Um, so just wanted to, to kind of open with that. And uh, I was saying, um, <laughs> saying to Nathan at some point this morning, uh, very happily that you know, today I'm speaking at um, 4.30, so I won't need to copy out my notes on large pieces of paper <laughs> because they'll actually be good light. So um, I might have to turn this on at some point just to, just to say hopefully not and we can stay in this kind of otherworldly light that we're in at the moment. So that was all kind of preliminaries. And uh, I actually wanted to, um, to begin the talk today with, uh, with, uh, with something from, from Nathan's experience that I've asked his permission to, to share uh, with you as an opening to, to what I'd like to, to explore together with you today. Can't see you at all. Oh, really? Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. That does happen here, doesn't it? If I turn it on. Huh? I can certainly see my notes. Can you see me? <laughs> Not really. If you, well. No, it doesn't. Huh? I mean, I can try and move. Okay. So, it's funny to think you can't see me. <laughs> you can see me, okay? So I can't kind of pull a funny face or something without having reactions. Okay, if Sue starts laughing, <laughs> then you'll know why. Okay, get serious. So, um, so if you, you know, for some years now, um, Nathan's been vegan. And uh, when he decided to make that transition, it was a very easy transition for him. It come, um, was, was triggered by um, a, a decision by the UK government to do a badger cull, um, and to, which meant um, badgers are, people who don't know, the large animals about this size, black and white, beautiful, live in the English countryside. And um, every once in a while, there's this idea that goes around that they carry, um, which is true, they carry um, a type of TB that also affects cows. 
Um, and so then, then there's these ideas that they should be culled, they should be killed um, to stop the cows getting ill. And even though it's been proven that um, killing the badgers has no effect on the incidence of TB in cows, uh, this, still, this still happens. And so a few, some years ago there was a decision in England to do that and um, that kind of really brought home to, to Nathan the link between um, growing cows, i.e. meat, which he already wasn't having, and dairy industries, and this killing of, of wild animals, unnecessarily killing of, of wild animals. And so that was the trigger. And it was very easy. It felt like a very natural movement of just, okay, I'm cutting out dairy and eggs from my diet. It's very immediate. A few years later, um, Nathan got an inclination that perhaps wheat wasn't very um, good for his digestion. And so he decided to cut out wheat from his diet. And that was much more difficult. And it was a very interesting contemplation to see. And the conclusion that he came to was that when the motivation for the change in diet was the welfare of others, for him, that was pretty straightforward in that situation and easy. When the motivation was um, his own welfare, it seemed a little bit more difficult to implement, to follow through on. And please tell me if you can't hear me at any point. You're also welcome to come closer, see what the competition does. You can't hear me, no. Can you guys hear me over there? Yeah, okay. And so I'm, I'm sharing this story, um, not necessarily as an illustration of what a compassionate being Nathan is, but um, as an illustration of this really interesting area of motivation for us in, in life, in life in general, um, and how important it is motivation, how important it is, how it impacts our capacity to follow through. So the, the source of the motivation, the roots of what the motivation is, impacts how much we follow through, or our capacity to follow through on our aspirations. And so it's really, really, I'm getting to my capacity. <laughs> So you might have to move closer. It's really interesting to explore what are my motivations, which motivations work for me, how and why. That can be a really interesting exploration for us. And within that, are there motivations that are wholesome? Are there motivations that are wholesome? Or can I bring wholesomeness into my motivations, such as doing something for the welfare, for the benefit of others and of myself? Yeah, not necessarily separate. This, this area, one of the ways, this area of what I'm calling motivation now is, um, 
is addressed in the Buddha's teachings. One, one way it's addressed is um, in the Eightfold Path, which I can't remember now if we've mentioned the Eightfold Path. You might have to get really close. I'll wait. Less comfortable and uh, closer. Okay, if you still can't hear, then I'll try and be even louder. We'll see. I don't think this recording is going to make it. <laughs> so, one way that the, the area of motivation is, is um, touched on in, in the teachings is in the Eightfold Path, which is, um, for those who don't remember, and I'm not sure if we mentioned it or not, um, the Eightfold Path is um, one of the Four Noble Truths that the Buddha spoke about. You know, so he spoke about the fact that suffering is an aspect of the human experience, that suffering has a cause, it has a root, it's not just random, that's the second. The root of suffering is what we've been touching on a lot, is our um, our craving, our clinging, our grasping as human beings, the way we hold, we clasp onto things or push them away. Our reactivity is another way of saying that. There's a way, there's a way for us to be free of suffering. That's the third noble truth. Sorry? Third is yeah yeah so yeah so there's a way for us to be free of suffering yes. I was just you were saying the fact that we can be free possibility to be free different wordings and the fourth is here is the path yeah the fourth is actually the description of the path uh, which is divided into eight parts and I'm not going to go into all of them now I'm only uh, going to speak about one, which is the second one. And this one is, um, they're all called right something. Right view, right intention, right... Um, right, 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 sorry, my mind's gone blank. And they're all called right something. Right speech, right action, right livelihood. And it can be more useful to think about them or contemplate them as wise rather than right because the right and wrong is, is a bit of a difficult thing for us. So I would say wise. And I'd like to speak here about the second one, which is wise intention or sometimes translated as wise resolve. Resolve. Wise intention or wise resolve. I'm getting hot with all the shouting. So this wise intention or wise resolve 
is, is part of the wisdom teachings. It's, it's part of the wisdom or the clarity that we need to have in order to walk this path, to have commitment, to have interest in it. It kind of leads us, leads us to take on the practice in a way. And in the Buddha's teachings, as you can see, everything is in lists. Yeah, the four noble truths, the eight limbs of the path. So right intention, wise intention, wise resolve manifests in three ways. This is really interesting. Manifests in three ways. The first one is to give up the causes of suffering in our lives. So we have the resolve, we have the intention to give up what causes suffering in our lives, or what causes suffering in the world. That's the first one. The second wise intention, a wise resolve, is to give up ill will, to give up animosity, to give up close heartedness yeah that's the second one the third one is to cultivate to nourish to adopt an attitude of harmlessness of non-harming yeah and I find that I find this really interesting you know because when we hear wise intention a wise resolve it's not necessarily we don't necessarily think of it in the, these terms and it's really important to see these terms as um, to see these as um, areas of aspiration. So wise intention, wise resolve, like all the aspects of the Eightfold Path, the practice areas, they're not black and white, they're not the Ten Commandments. Yeah, just like with the precepts. It's not okay. So if I have wise intention, then right this moment, from now on, I need to drop the causes of suffering. I need to drop any hint of ill will. And I need to be 100% living a life of non-harming. That's the aspiration. That's the aspiration. The important aspect here is the aspiration and that commitment to the aspiration, that this is what I want to align my life with. And the understanding, the reason this is part of the wisdom of the path is that there's an understanding here that this is a life that is worth living, you know, that this is having these aspirations actually brings happiness and freedom of, from suffering. So that's the kind of um, the wisdom in there. And so... Like on one level, we can feel like, of co you know, of course, you know. Yeah, right, Buddha, you know. Tell us something new. Yeah, of course we want to drop the causes of suffering, you know. Of course we want to be free from ill will. Of course we want to live a life of non-harming. But, you know, easily said than done, yeah. And there's something about this wise intention, wise resolve of coming back to that, of really kind of, pulling it out from the, yeah, of course, it's obvious, into actually a lived, embodied, a lived and embodied 
way of being, way of practicing. So what happens when we keep bringing these intentions and aspirations to, to the front and we keep kind of rooting our motivations in that, rooting the motivations for our actions, for our choices, for our speech in, in these three, in these three, and in that strong intention and resolve around them. And we do that, as I was saying, as a practice. So what happens when we bring that to the fore? And what happens when I bring it into my everyday activities? What happens when I bring it into my everyday activities? How does it impact? How does it impact me? How does it impact my interactions? How does it impact the world? We're interested in all of those. So I was reflecting on this, just using examples of things we've been doing here over the days. You know, really simple examples. So as we're passing bricks to each other, what happens to that experience, as some of us actually did experience, what happens to that very simple physical act of taking a brick from somebody, moving, giving it to someone else, what happens to that when it's colored, when it's infused with this sense of letting go of the causes of suffering, letting go of ill will, letting go, I'm sorry, you know, really rooting in non-harming. What happens to that really simple act? So, you know, through that, whatever it was, 10 minutes of passing the, the bricks, we had many moments. And, you know, if we can still reflect in our memory, or if we use another example, probably we had moments of some ill will there. You know, how come I'm walking back and forth all this stretch and the other person isn't? Or, you know, why have they stopped? You know, we were just in a good rhythm. Or whatever, you know, we've, we've had some moments where there's some level of aversion or closed-heartedness, perhaps. And what happens if we remember this intention, this resolve, and we let go into the actual movement of passing the brick, the actual flow of being part of that chain, which is less about me and more about being a part of. Does that make sense? And the same with the other ones. You know, right now, what is causing me suffering? You know, maybe the bricks are getting heavy. <laughs> But what is causing suffering and can I drop that? Or as I'm passing the brick, can I have that aspiration to treat all life with care, including this brick, you know, and the person that I'm taking it from or passing it through? You know, what happens to the experience when that comes in? And the same, um, you know, the same process with so many simple things that we've been doing over the days. You know, the whole process of moving pieces of turf from one place to the other, the cutting them out, the carrying them, the putting them into place, the kicking them. 
There's so many ways of doing that and being present in that. And the same with sanding, with varnishing, with putting data into a computer. You know, all of these things that we've been engaged in. They're not, you know, we, we just kind of often just, they're just a little thing, like they're a blip. They're just something that is um, insignificant. Yet can we see that with this intention and this resolve, without making it heavy, we can actually change the experience so that the insignificant becomes significant. The insignificant becomes significant. And we can also play with these, um, you know, the three aspects of the intention and the resolve. And I, I've already done it when I was speaking about it. You know, if we expand um, non-harming into a sense of care, a sense of care for everything, yeah, for each other, for every, everything that we do. How does that shift our experience? And perhaps we've had moments of this already, of seeing how the simplest of actions, you know, the simplest of actions can become like a prayer or an act of devotion. If it's done with that presence and with that connection to intention, it can be a really deep practice, a really, really deep practice for us. So I'm really hoping that I'm saying this in a way that um, really comes across with a possibility, yeah? Because as always, this can be a kind of become a sense, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Oh, no, we're halfway through the retreat and I've absolutely, you know, missed it. You know, I've absolutely messed up. I, I didn't do this and um, that means that I've just wasted my time. And A, that's not true because you've definitely been doing this also. Yeah? And B, it's all part of the process of, of understanding. And this isn't black and white, and it's not absolute. So to really kind of um, remember that. So how we do things, and we can include also things like communication in that. You know, one of the things that was coming up yesterday. We can also include communication in that. As I'm communicating... Can that be rooted in this intention and resolve? To let go of the causes of suffering, to let go of the will, and to really be um, honoring that sense of non-harming. So can I do that? And, and really important here, not as an absolute, but as an exploration, as an exploration. Because it's not easy, and it's not our habit. Yeah? It's not the way we've been functioning in the world a lot of the time. And so, you know, this is the opportunity, and, or a opportunity, to start exploring. Okay, so I, I'm confused, I don't know. If I make a joke, how does that meet someone? 
Where exactly is it coming from in me? I'm not sure. That's okay. Yeah, most of life is uncertain. It's okay. But can I just engage with it so that I learn? And can we engage with it together, which can really increase the learning? Really increase the learning, as we kind of felt yesterday in the, in the meeting we had. I was having this image when I was reflecting on this um, earlier today of a tree, of being like a tree. And our roots are really rooted into this intention and resolve. That's where the roots are. And we keep digging the roots deeper. And we keep nourishing the roots so that they grow deeper, so that they can grow deeper. And from that, we grow into the manifestation in the world. You know, the trunk, the branches, the leaves, the flowers, the fruit. It's all the manifestation. So we grow from the roots. We allow action to come through. That's the growth. Yeah, action comes through. Imperfect. Imperfect. We're imperfect. Nothing we can do about it. We're imperfect. We allow it to come through. We know that we have no control over the results. No control over the results. Or very little control over the results. And so we need to trust the process. Rooting, rooting, rooting into the intention and the resolve. Coming forth through that. Branches opening, letting go of the result. <laughs> yeah. Fruits falling, letting go of results. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know. Yeah. So trusting the process and being willing to learn, being willing to learn and to grow from what we see, from what we observe, from what happens for us. I want to give an example here of um, something that um, a friend of mine was going through recently. And um, she... um, to say this. She took on the very courageous um, role of speaking up in her community about areas of ethical misconduct. And she had really um, gone through years of process around this and a lot of care into how to do it. And she had finally done the action. You know, she wrote a letter and she sent it. She sent me a WhatsApp message saying, can you talk now? I'm really freaking out. I've just sent the message. So I I phoned her and and we talked. And we talked exactly about this, you know. Suddenly she was freaking out. What if, what if, what if some of the things I've said aren't accurate? What if I'm wrong? What if all the checking that I did of facts somehow, what if this really hurts somebody? You know, because of course there's going to be consequences, yeah? What if this really hurts somebody? And as we were speaking, you know, I said to her, all you can do, all you can do is you can feel 
the uncertainty of life going through you. This is what's happening. And you can root in your intention, which you know is to bring the end of suffering in this case. Yeah, to bring the end of suffering. And to really prioritize non-harming. Yeah, that's your intention. You can root in that as well as in knowing that you did so much to find out and to be really precise. But that's all you can do. There's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. So life is complicated. Yeah, it's so complicated. So complicated. And difficulties and challenges will arise for us in our personal lives, in our social lives, in the communities that we're part of, in the world, on the planet. You know, they they arise. Difficulties and challenges arise. How we relate to them is so important, and that's our practice. How do we relate to the questions that arise for us? Knowing that things are complicated, yeah, that life is complex, knowing the complexity, knowing that there's no guarantee what the results of our actions will be. (laughs) It's a big one. And yet... An action is also an action. Yeah. An action is also an action. It's also a choice. It also bears fruit. It also has results. So somehow opening to this complexity, opening to this complexity of things and our place in it, can be difficult, but also very, very helpful for us. And to see that this is our practice, that life happens. Life is happening. How do I relate? How do I relate to what is happening? This is the practice. This is the practice. Another way of saying it is whatever is happening, whatever is happening in my life or around me is a training ground, is a training ground. It's an opportunity to explore what it means to embody intention and resolve, what it means to embody this intention to let go of the causes of suffering, to let go of the will and to prioritize non-harming. So every little opportunity, every little experience, everything that arises, every thought, every mind state, every brick, is an opportunity to train the mind, to explore, to understand more. And so one image that's often used, I think particularly by Tibetan teachers, I don't know why, is that we train with the small weights of life, you know, 
it's a gym metaphor. We train with the small weights, with the small things, with the everyday things. We train with those so that when the big things arise, we have stronger muscles. Yeah? We don't get as overwhelmed or as reactive. And this is why it's so important to practice, to be with the breath, to be in the body, to notice what happens in communication, whatever it is, to attend with care to my plate of food, to the brick, to the paintbrush. And really important to remember this is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. Yeah, we're going to forget most of the time. We come back and we remember, you know, and that's why we're here for each other as Sangha, to remind each other of these priorities, of these intentions, of our interests. And this process, as people have said over the days, it can be beautiful and it can be excruciating, it can be painful, it can be hard, yeah? And it stretches us out, it's like a real, you know, really stretches us out beyond what we think our boundaries are, beyond who we think we are, stretches us out. And it becomes a way of looking. Remember the ways of looking? It becomes a way of looking of a lot of potency. Because anything that arises is fuel. Anything that arises can be looked at, can be worked with, can be understood. It becomes a way of looking. What can I see? What can I learn? How can I grow? What would it mean to let go here? To let go of the causes of suffering in this situation right here and now? What would it mean to let go of ill will? How hard is it to let go of ill will sometimes, a lot of the time? You know, we see that. Right here and now in this situation. So in the tradition, this aspiration, this kind of practice is um, referred to also as bodhicitta, cultivating bodhicitta. Citta, again, is heart-mind. Heart-mind. Bodhi is awake. So an awake heart-mind, cultivating an awake heart-mind. And for me, this bodhicitta grows out of this resolve and intention. Yeah? It grows out of it, rooting, again, rooting in this intention and resolve to let go of the causes of suffering, to let go of ill will, and to prioritize non-harming. Bodhicitta is what grows out, this awake heart-mind which prioritizes using this life, using this body, using this mind to bring the ending of suffering for all beings. So we can ask this 
you know, another way of phrasing it, how can I use this human existence? How can I use this human body and this human mind? In the service of others. In the service of others. And just earlier today, someone asked me, well, what is service actually? And doesn't, you know, when I look, I see that when I do service, there's also a lot of what we would call self-service in there. Yeah? It serves something in me. Service is a path. Bodhicitta is a path. Yeah? It's not just an ideal. It's something that we apply. And as we do that, we see it's a path because it illuminates. Illuminates our clinging, illuminates our ego constructs, illuminates where we identify and create a sense of self. And it doesn't mean that we need to then throw out the whole thing, but actually we use it. We use it to see clearly, to use that as fuel. Okay, so I see this in me. What does that teach me about humanity? does that teach me and how can I grow here with this, around this? How can I grow? How can I stretch? Mark and I used to um, have this um, phrase for this bodhicitta practice and aspiration which was being manual. And I kind of remembered this today with, um, you know, all the talk we've been having about compost loose. But this idea of our life and our practice and what we do as manure, as that which is, you know, so the shit, yeah, the difficult things that I see in myself, the ways I hold on, the ways I cling. In this way of looking, we turn them into fertilizer. The shit is not other than the nourishment, yeah? They coexist. They coexist. And it's in the way we look, in the way we attend, that that shift can happen. So knowing my own darkness, my own shadow, how does that increase my understanding and empathy of others, for example? Just for example. So playing with that. Playing with that. So everything can become fuel for awakening. Everything can become fuel for awakening. Our own and that of others. And those questions of how do I use this? How do I see this? In ways that bring more freedom. How do I work with it so that it brings less suffering? How do I relax the contraction that is here in the kind of language we've been using? So when I was speaking at the beginning or near the beginning about Nathan's kind of diet changes, there were two motivations there. One was the motivation to do something to reduce the suffering of others. And the other was the motivation to do something to reduce the suffering of my own body. And there's actually also a third possibility, which is bringing them together. 
So how do I look after this body so that it can better serve? Yeah, it's another way of looking at this, which is really, um, can be really, really powerful. And I've just recently, just on this, I think just on the, the last couple of retreats here in Dharmalaya, I've been experimenting with this around exercise, which I really, I hate doing exercise. Uh, but I know it's really good for me. It makes me feel better. <laughs> but I really don't like it. And so, you know, it's always a struggle. And so just here on the retreat, okay, what if I try and change the motivation? So it's not just about doing it for me, but if I bring in this motivation, okay, I'm going to exercise to look after this body so that it can better serve others, which is really hard to even say, you know, it sounds something uncomfortable in the spine, a bit kind of, um, I don't know what, hoping you're getting the sense. It's difficult to say, even to kind of articulate. So I'll say it again, because it's difficult. Can I do this to look after this body, after the welfare of this body, so that this body can then be used for the welfare of others? to serve others. And it's been a real, um, it's been a real experimentation to do that, you know? It's, it's, I can't tell you, oh yeah, this works 100% of the time, you know? I've been exercising every day. I've been exercising most days, and it's certainly been helpful in there. But there's still this real sense of stretch. There's a real sense of stretch. So sometimes, you know, like with the Nathan's decision to be vegan, the motivation is, is in tune with something, and it's very easy. It just very naturally flows. And sometimes it's an edge for us, like for me now with the exercise. And we need to practice, need to come back to the intention and the resolve and bring in the patience and the discipline and all these qualities that we've been working with just to keep at it, to keep coming back to it. And this is the real encouragement, you know. There's so many things that we might feel we're not good at or we don't like or we don't know how to do well. But can we keep coming back to exploring? You know, what happens if we're working and I'm singing? What is that? right now, you know, and maybe an hour later I'll be singing again, and is that the same? Yeah, just looking at that, being willing to look at that, to explore. And another interesting question is, as we bring in this, this motivation, this motivation of the welfare of all, this bodhicitta, you know, as we bring it in, more and more, not different then, just kind of a, a little bo- a bit more emphasis. What happens to our own well-being? It's also a really interesting question. What happens to my own sense of well-being when I do that? And 
Mark was telling us about um, some research that's happening at this, I think that it's happening now, and they've already had some really interesting results. Um, and so the research is um, about exercise, and um, they've taken um, a group of people, I'm not sure if they're all practitioners or not, and uh, they've all started on the same exercise regime, you know, starting to work out. Half of them are just working out because, you know, we know it's, it's good, it's healthy. The other half are doing the exercise regime from this motivation that I was speaking about. This was actually the inspiration for me to do this. Just kind of that sense of, okay, can I exercise as a way of looking after the body, as a way of then using, you know, looking after this vehicle that can then serve others for the welfare of others. And they've seen really big differences between the two groups. It's really interesting. Um, I think they're all sticking to the same exercise regime. It's not that where the difference is, but the effect on the, on the, on the body is different. So, for example, um, the immune system of those who have this bodhicitta aspiration or kind of intentionally bringing that in, the immune um, response is much, much stronger. So one of the things that happens in, in, with exercise is that immune response. That's one of the things they're measuring. It's really mind-boggling, you know. What we think is, you know, how could that be related? Seems to clearly be related, to clearly be related. So this motivation not only um, helps us to maybe stick with something, it also helps the benefits to stick with us. <laughs> so to kind of be absorbed more deeply into the being. And it's an ongoing cycle. Yeah, the more that happens, the more we believe in it, in a way. The more likely we are to apply it. And even more um, importantly, it reminds us that we're not separate the welfare of others doesn't exclude my own welfare, actually, at all. The opposite is the opposite. The welfare of others actually is my own welfare, increases our welfare. And that famous Dalai Lama quote, you know, when he says, um, if you want others to be happy, be compassionate. If you want to be happy, be compassionate. You know, it really, really nourishes our own well-being. Yeah. So we deepen our understanding you know, into this interrelated nature of all things. What we've been speaking of is emptiness a lot. We deepen our understanding, we deepen our embodiment of that. You know, one step at a time, one breath, one step, one action, one word, one smile, whatever it is, it's a process, it's a process. I'd just like to, to close with um, a quote from Shantideva, which is one of the most beautiful um, 
expressions of this bodhicitta aspiration and a great favorite of the Dalai Lama. He often uses this quote. And says Shantideva, who was, uh, those who don't know, I think ninth century sage, but Buddhist sage in, in India. And he says, with a wish to free all beings, I shall always go for refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha until I reach full enlightenment. Enthused by wisdom and compassion, today in the Buddha's presence, I generate the mind for full awakening for the benefit of all sentient beings. And this is the really beautiful part. As long as space endures, as long as sentient beings remain. Until then, may I too remain and dispel the miseries of the world. So as long as space endures, as long as sentient beings remain, until then, may I too remain and dispel the miseries of the world. So let's have a quiet minute to bring this to a close. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.